friends. Welcome to the Creative Impact Podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Caldwell, and I'm so happy you're here. Each episode, I take some time to chat with fellow artists about life, faith, and the impact of the arts. Uh, she wanted to do a piece to this music by John Adams. And um, she'd asked me to, hey, would you, I'd like to see kind of just do some improvising in the studio. Let's see what we can come up with, you know, as a start for this piece. So, you know, me taking this great opportunity, I was thinking, this, I had barrel turns in it and spins and jumps and all this. And I landed at her feet and I thought she was going to really be impressed. Right. And then she looked at me and she turned off the music and she said, Steve, you have to learn how to dance in stillness. Hey friends, can you believe we're already over halfway through July? I know we're all facing new challenges every single day, and I hope that wherever you are, this can be a source of encouragement for you. I'd love to connect with you. Find the Creative Impact Podcast on Facebook or Instagram and let me know what you think of the show. Now is a great time to subscribe to the show if you haven't already. Today, you'll get to hear from Steve Rooks. Steve is a former principal dancer with the Martha Graham Dance Company, where he performed for over a decade. His performance credits also include the Alvin Ailey Repertory Ensemble. Steve is currently Chair of Dance and Resident Choreographer at Vassar College in New York. Steve shares his incredible journey from discovering dance in college to touring the world as a principal dancer for the Martha Graham Dance Company. He gives us a glimpse into working with Martha, which is so fun to hear, especially for those of you who have studied dance history. We talk about his family and his current role as a teacher, mentor, and choreographer. Steve challenges the assumption that once dancers are done performing, they should automatically become teachers. He encourages dancers to make sure they are teaching from a place of passion and not frustration. I love his advice for dancers in this current season. Be ready. The world is going to be craving the beauty we can bring as we come out of this season of isolation. Steve's humility and wisdom are such a gift. I believe you're going to be greatly encouraged by his words. Enjoy my conversation with Steve Rooks. Well, I'm here with Steve Rooks and so excited to get to talk to you today, Steve. Oh, it's great being here. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat. Um, and I'm excited to get to kind of hear more about your story and get to share sure. with the listeners as well. So first off, you want to just kind of tell us how are things going for you right now and um, maybe a little bit of who you are and what you're up to. Okay, great. Well, you know, um, Living in New York, we're sort of coming out of the real serious attack of the, uh, you know, the COVID nineteen. So the numbers are in my area are really, really going down, which is exciting. Yeah, um, that's great. Uh, my thank for my family has been great. Uh, we're all doing well. Friends and uh, in, in, in the community here are doing well as well. So that's been, you know, something. And just kind of you know, everybody's journey during this time is, you know, has its own challenges. But it's nice to kind of be coming on this end of it. Uh, and whatnot. For sure. Yeah. So, um, you know, and also adjusting to the whole, you know, interactive world of Zoom and, and whatnot, a lot of meetings. And I think we're all adjusting to that too. And yeah, teaching a little classes, zoomed out right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But teaching classes, but also understanding that, you know, this is, I'm grateful for that potential for connection during a, a difficult time like this, but also realizing that probably in the, in the future landscape of dance, uh, you know, s- social media is going to become more and more an integral part of what we do as artists. Yeah, it definitely seems like it. But I don't know if you wanted me to talk a little bit about my, my beginnings in dance, or if that's a good yeah, time Yeah, that would be great. <laughs> so if you want to share with us, um, yeah, what got you started in dance in the first place? 
or in the sure. arts in general? Yeah. Well, I was, you know, it was, it's interesting because, you know, I didn't have the story of, you know, growing up with visions of dance at all. I, oh, really? You know, okay. I, yeah, I, I did karate. I went to school and, and all of that. And had dance wasn't even on the radar and especially concert dance. But what had happened was um, I went to college. I, I went to Dartmouth College and I was actually studying music. Oh, and um, yeah. And at the time, um, the, the Dance Theater of Harlem was, was coming to campus. And I had never heard of them before, but some friends of mine were saying, oh my gosh, this is an amazing, you know, a company was started by Arthur Mitchell in response to the, you know, assassination of Martin Luther King. These dancers are amazing. And I, w- I had no interest at all, to be honest. I mean, it's, oh, dance, who wants to see ballet? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> who, you know, and um, somehow I got a ticket. It sold out immediately, but I got a ticket. And I went with some friends and I sat there kind of slumped in my seat, just kind of waiting for it to start. Although I knew there was a lot of energy in the audience. And Rachel, as soon as the curtain went up, I, I just, I was transformed in the beginning of my seat, the front of my seat. And I just watched Spellbound the entire wow. time. And um, afterwards, you know, it was like an epiphany. I said, I have to do this. And it wasn't that I had to become a ballet dancer, but I knew that I had to have this experience of movement. And I think what happened was that the, the that performance had knocked down so many stereotypes I had about dance. I mean, for one thing, you know, that something, nothing I could relate with, you know, it's very kind of Eurocentric, but here's an, almost a totally all black companies. So there was right. that connection, you know, you know, ethnically. And then, you know, that the men were kind of soft, but these men were powerful. And, you know, you know how dancers have to really, you know, have a lot of strength. Yeah. So seeing all of that power on stage and the ability to relate with them, you know, uh, you know, at least as people, it just, it just awoke, you know, something in me. And then afterwards, I just, um, uh, I continued and finished my degree in music, but I also, um, started getting involved with like uh, productions that uh, needed movers and whatnot. And I take master classes from time to time. And then when I left, I moved back home to Washington, DC and I was teaching um, special education during the day and oh, then yeah. taking dance classes at night. That's and then so during cool. the, I, it, well, it was, it was, it almost drove me crazy to just the, the scheduling, oh, I but, yeah. but I was so, you know, I wanted to continue with this, you know, just kind of, seeing what this dance thing was about, you know, although I had to work. So anyway, what happened was in the process, I just started falling, falling in love with the dance classes. That became the most important part of my day. And there was a, a dancer choreographer named Greg Reynolds, who used to be in the Paul Taylor's company, who was down in, in Washington. And he happened to see me. He saw, happened to see me uh, in class. He said, look, you know, I, I think you have some talent, actually. Um, he said, but you really need to work on it. And he said, I, I'm, I'm restarting my company back in New York. And why don't you come apprentice with me and then um, take some classes. And if it doesn't work out, you can always come back to DC, right. you know, work and then, you know, work on your master's in music or something. But if you don't try dance now, you'll never know if it can happen. So, so true, it just yeah. Sound, it sound, yeah, it sounded like a good deal to me. So anyway, to make a long story short, I, I auditioned for a scholarship at Alvin Ailey. I, you know, I didn't, I just said, ah, oh, well, I'm just try Ailey, you know, and I right. <laughs> I know all of us that are dancers are like, whoa, Alvin Ailey, you know. <laughs> but, you know, and I guess because I was so naive, I didn't realize it was probably going to be a really difficult thing to do. Right. But I, but I, I went to the audition. Uh, it was sizzling hot in the studio. There was all these guys. And at the end of the audition, I didn't really know what had happened because there was so many guys. But anyway, anyway they, they called my number and I got a full scholarship. That's so I went amazing. from yeah, you know, so I went from taking five classes a day to eighteen classes, uh, five classes a week to eighteen classes a week. Oh wow! Uh, so you know, I said the first the first month I lost twenty pounds. Oh my goodness! Just, just for that, you know. <laughs> but it was my start in foray in a dance, and kind of the rest is history. I, I stayed at the Alien organization about four years and ended up being in the second company. 
And then while I was in the second company, I was on scholarship at the Graham School because I just fell in love with that technique. And then through circumstances, I got invited to join the Martha Graham Company, and I stayed with them for over a decade. That so is that's, so that's, uh, that's kind of the, you know, the uh, snapshot of it all. Um, just so a real shout out to all the late bloomers out there because it does happen. Uh, you right. know, and I, I mean, although my situation is a little bit Cinderella, but, but it is, you know, it is possible to start at a later age. That's for sure. And that's so cool to think of how just the beginnings, you know, there was just that desire or that love planted in you. And then, you yeah. know, just the willingness to pursue it and say, yeah. you know, hey, this door opened, might as well follow it and see where it leads. And, right. and, and with the other thing too, Rachel, um, is, is that one of the advantages of starting so late, I, there's a certain desperation that happens because yes. I couldn't like take a week off. <laughs> you know, you're, it's like every moment, every class was vital because I was so far behind in terms of experience. And so I was, I was just desperate. I mean, in, in a, and, and, and at first it was a little unhealthy. It was just almost obsessive, but, but then it became more balanced. But I realized that I just had to work extra hard. You know? right. and, and, that, yeah. and I was all right with that. Yeah. I could see how there'd be a different level of just soaking everything in, you know, every right. single thing that the teacher says, exactly. whereas if you've been in it years and years, you kind of, I don't know, you, you yeah. lose a little bit of that energy, I think. Yeah. Well, certainly by the time some dancers got to my age, they were already starting to burn out where for me, it was like, Hey, this is exciting and great. Let's, right. let's keep going. So exactly. So I'm curious to know what got you into music since you went to college for music. Yeah, and I was a late bloomer there too. I mean, I couldn't even read music until I was 16. Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> I was in this music appreciation course in high school. And this teacher, James Smith, he was just, I, he was just an incredible teacher. And I said, you know, I'd, I'd like to take piano lessons. And um, so I started studying piano with him. I became his assistant. He, he was a uh, school organist. And so I would, you know, I would help him, you know, on, on Sunday services, you know, as page turner and just keeping things organized for him. And I still started studying piano. I st- uh, they had a music theory course. I took that and I just really started falling in love with music. But the, the problem was I like music a lot, Rachel, but if I'm honest, I didn't have a real great talent for it. I just, it was, it was something that I enjoyed doing. Right. And so even when I got to college, I mean, I was good at it. I mean, I actually was selected to be a senior fellow, which is where a senior at the college could, instead of finishing the traditional major, would undertake a research project for their senior year. And mine, oh, was, nice. mine was writing a piano concerto. So I spent my whole senior year writing a piano concerto. Wow. You know, but at the end product, though, even wasn't that spellbinding. And I think uh, the music community should be very thankful that I did become a musician <laughs> because I would have been pretty mediocre. <laughs> you know? So I'm, gl- I'm glad I discovered dance. Yeah, for sure. And but what I love is, and we'll probably get into this more later, but just the connection with music. I think I can see that in you, you as a dancer and as a teacher, and even a choreographer. You know, sure. So yeah. thinking through coming into the Graham Company, and you said you were there for ten years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Officially for ten years. I I I, I went back and guessed it a few times. They had um uh, a Twilight Art project that I came back and understudy for that and then there was a performance of Appalachian Spring that was done on the anniversary down in Washington DC so I came back and reprised one of my roles there and then the last thing was at the Joyce Theater in New York in like I think 2007 or 2008 where it was something called the From the Horse's Mouth which is a tribute to Graham and oh, I, that was that that was my swan song yeah. <laughs> that was it after that that's so um, neat. But, but yeah. So was Martha alive when you were in the company? Yeah, she was. She was. Wow. And in fact, um, when I left, she died a few weeks later. It was oh, really, wow. it was, it was, and it was kind of interesting because I knew that I wanted to be in a company. 
I, I didn't know how much I would want to be in the company once she passed away. And we knew that it was going to come at some point. And so timing wise for me, it was great. I had just gotten married and I really wanted to focus on my marriage, you know, and everything. So the timing for me was good. But shortly after that, she passed away that April, wow. April 1st of the, of the year that I left. Kind of like end uh, of an era in two ways. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, it, but I so appreciated learning and sitting under her and watching her work. And I know that it had a great impact on who I am today. Uh, and um, just even some conversations with her just really still to this day, I remember and it had great impact on me. Yeah, that's, that's super amazing. And mm-hmm. so I'm curious after that, so you said you got married and then yeah. was that when you transitioned more into a teaching role after that? Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I got married and then, um, so, but the f- first two years of my marriage, I was still performing, but my wife would come on tour with me, Desiree would come oh, on tour. Oh, cool. So yeah, yeah, so she came over to Greece with us and Japan and, and Boston. I mean, so it was really kind of, that was kind of nice, but I knew that I didn't, I knew that I, I, I wanted to be more settled to really work, work on us. And so I, 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 re- I retired from the company and thought I was leaving dance altogether, but then started getting uh, calls to teach. And I just fell in love with it. I love teaching. I love mentoring. I love the idea of being able to give young people information, you know, as best as I can. And so it was a, it was a, it was a, a really great time to transition, you know, getting, you know, being married, but also, you know, leaving performing and now trying to give to others. So was really right. Important. That makes sense for sure. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious that um, how did you and your wife meet? If you don't mind sharing. <laughs> no, not at all. Not at all. Um, actually, we were both uh, we were both members of the same church, and we would kind of see each other from afar. But you know, there was no you know bells and whistles. It was uh, just she was she was an usher there to church. She worked with the youth ministry, and um, you know we see each other in passing, but you no, know, there wasn't any connection per se. Uh, but then there was a uh, singles event called uh, uh, Mobilize to Serve mm-hmm. at a convention. And I was at a booth and she came by to chat as she, you know, just because we went to the same church. And then there was a, a, one, of, one of the other workers there said, oh, my gosh, she's really, you know, a good looking lady. You know, and I said, yeah, yeah, she goes to church. It's kind of, yeah. And, <laughs> she, and so she said, why don't, uh, why don't you, uh, you know, you all go out to, to dinner or something. I'll watch the booth and whatnot. So we went out to dinner. We just had a great time socially. And whatnot. But then. Uh, after that, you know, I find myself going on tour and just calling just to check up on her. And then I got back and we would, you know, kind of hang out. And then it went from transition to just kind of being social friends to like, we realized we were, we were starting to fall for each other. Right. Uh, but, it, but, it, but yeah. And then, and then, you know, we ended up getting married. That's so but, cool. but, it, but initially it was, again, it wasn't sort of the bell, bells and whistles. It's just, we, we were in the same church. Right. But, same but circles. Then, and, and yeah. Mm-hmm. But then the connection happened. That's so special. And now I know y'all have children. So how many kids do you guys two, have? Two adult children. Yeah. Uh, my oldest daughter is 27 and she just, um, she graduated from Hillsong College uh, in November. She was there for years at Hillsong in Sydney, Australia. Now she's wow. in San Francisco working with Expedia. And then my youngest daughter uh, graduated from college last year. She got her degree in three years. And wow, she's, that's she's, yeah, so she's um, actually working at the university, at Pace University uh, in their calls. And she's a supervisor and doing really well as well. So they've grown up and we're empty nesters now. Yeah, <laughs> but, and but, a new uh, season but, as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so it's great. That's really special. And now you currently are at Vassar College, is that right? Yeah, yeah, I've been at Vassar for a couple of decades now. And um, right now I'm the resident choreographer and a professor there. And enjoy it, enjoy it very much. Um, it's the school has been incredibly supportive 
to my work. And um, I've had some great opportunities because of being there. And so, uh, I mean, God, God really, it was really a provision from God to be there right now. And so, yeah, I've been uh, joined a few decades, you know, I've been there for a few decades and enjoy the interaction with the students. Yeah, that's awesome. So um, you kind of just mentioned this, but how does your faith impact or has your faith impacted your journey as an artist? It's for me, it's understanding that and, and I don't say that I live this way all the time, Rachel, but, but trying to understand and remember that there really isn't a divide between secular and sacred. It really is all about the kingdom. Uh, before, even when I was in the Graham Company, I would always pray before my performances. And it's not because the subject matter of the dance that I was going to do, per se, would be liturgical or, or biblical-based. Right. But in some way that God, God would be revealed in the beauty of movement. And there's a scripture that I held on, that I, I still hold on to today. It's one of my favorite scriptures. Um, it's Colossians 3, 23, 24. And I'm paraphrasing, but it's, it's whatever you do, do it as unto the Lord and not for men, because it's Christ Jesus whom you're serving. And this whole notion that whatever you do has to be, a, 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 as it were, an, an offering unto the Lord, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I believe that also in a, with performances, too. And I'm a real advocate that the Lord does not only speak through words. I think a lot of times we think that there has to be, the music has to, to have a declaration of scripture or it has to be a, a spiritual or a gospel tune or whatnot. But I believe that God has revealed in nature. I believe that, you know, that his, his character is revealed in nature and that the beauty, you know, really uh, unadulterated beauty reflects, you know, some of the characteristics of the Lord. So mm, yeah. um, my, my hope was, and it still is that, and what I do, even if I'm not able to declare the gospel message that somehow the fragrance of Christ is left in what I do, mm-hmm. you know, and sometimes, and, and, and to be honest, sometimes I probably miss it, but the goal, my heart's desire is that that would be the case. Right. Right. That that's coming across to people. And I think that's true. You know, like that, mm-hmm. that sense of the spirit of God, you know, being in something I've watched performances from all sorts of different companies right. and, you know, it may be a secular company, quote unquote, and, you know, but it still can impact you so right. profoundly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think one of the things that you do is that we, we forget this sometimes and this, but it's truth is that, you know, uh, one of the first declarations that the Lord made about humanity is that, you know, uh, in the, we were made in the image of God. And so that imago Deo, that us being image bearers is inherent, whether you know the Lord or not, right. you know, but that, that, but we're made in this image. And so, so even some, you know, people don't realize sometimes they're declaring his glory, even if they don't know him, mm, just yeah. because we're made in the image of God. It doesn't mean that every act they do is godly or everything, you know, it works from truth, but the design, the ultimate design of every human being is that we would be image bearers. And that the bottom line is when you relate to somebody, even if fundamentally they're on a total another end of the spectrum in terms of belief, the, the common denominator is that we were all made in the image of God, mm-hmm. you know, and that, 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 and that image is being declared. Yeah, that's beautiful. So just to kind of, I guess, wrap up the performance aspect, what would you say was one of the biggest highlights from your performance career? There were, wow, there was, I mean, a lot of my performances in the Graham Company were, were amazing. Uh, opportunities to perform on all the big stages, uh, Paris Opera, the Met, Lincoln Center and all like that. Uh, it was really great. And I think I did something like 23 European tours. So it was a lot, that was all great. But my, one of my most memorable performances was actually dancing in Jerusalem. Mm. With, um, and it was, it was, I was guesting with a company called Morning Star Classical Biblical Theater. 
And um, we, we did this performance called Throughout Eternity, this, this, this full evening work. And at the end, the audience was just applauding. And then we just went out and just started dancing in the audience and dancing among the people. Oh, neat. And there was, there, I know to this day that that was the most inspired performance I ever did. You know, wow. it, I mean, yeah, God you can just, just kind really, of feel it. Yeah, yeah, but also God just took over. And I don't mean in some sort of, you know, mystical way, but it was a real yielding and just the full expression of everything that I had learned to that point. So I'll always remember that just dancing out and the people just celebrating, you know, and, and, and again, you're in a community where wasn't the full revelation of who Jesus is because it was, a, you know, in a Jewish audience, uh, but he was being declared in what we did. And uh, it was, it was, it was incredible. The audience mm. was amazing. And just being in Jerusalem, you know, yes. it, was, it was quite remarkable. I had a chance to travel there last year, last summer, oh my, and it was incredible. Amazing yeah. place. Really, really amazing place. So that would, that would probably one of my highlights. Yeah. yeah. And if you feel comfortable, would you be willing to share maybe a low point from the journey as a performer as well? Sure. When I um, was kind of, I had just become a principal dancer in the company and um, I was having a really strong season and um, we were getting ready to do a tour of Canada and I was actually on the poster for that tour. Oh, yeah. Um, so it was, it was a real p- kind of pivotal moment. But uh, right before the tour, a few months before the tour, I found out that my uh, father had, was diagnosed with lung cancer. Mm, yeah. So it was, you know, we were dealing with his treatments and whatnot. And, and I mean, but uh, the marvelous thing about it, in the process of that, he, he got saved. You know, oh, I mean, wow. but, but radically saved. <laughs> so it was really authentic. It was bona fide. He, he just fell in love with the Lord. So although it was very difficult in dealing with the medical condition, his spiritual condition was amazing. Mm, yeah. uh, but 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 so we're, anyway, but we were moving forward in preparations for this tour, and it was sort of hit or miss, just where he was going to be in all of that. And um, I, I flew down to visit to visit with him in, in Washington, and um, he, you know, it was kind of like everybody's kind of wait and see. It could be months, it could be you know, no one knew. And so he said, "Look, um, you know, yeah, my blessings. Just go on and do the tour." And so mm-hmm. I, I got on the plane and um, I went back to New York, but. By the time I landed, he had taken a turn from the worst. Mm. And so I had to go back to D.C. And um, he ended up passing away. Yeah. It wasn't so much the missing of the tour. You know, I, I missed that whole part of the tour and whatnot, obviously. But it was just that season, you know, where in one way I had, it was a, a really high point in, in, in what I was doing. But then dealing with, you know, his serious illness and then him leaving us, it was, it was hard. It was hard, you know, but again, the really beautiful thing was the security and knowing where he is right now, mm-hmm. which kind of helped us all kind of navigate through that. But that for was, sure. that was a, t- that was a tough time. That was a yeah, tough time. definitely. Yeah. Thank you for being willing to share that. And no, no problem. Yeah. It's interesting to see that sometimes it can go coincide, you know, some of the highlights and the low points of right. our lives, you know, can yeah, be happening yeah. at the same time. Yeah, exactly. Um, exactly. God's faithfulness through going through it with us, you exactly, know, exactly, exactly. So. Yeah. Well, I'd love to kind of dig a little bit deeper into sure. what we were talking about earlier with choreography. And mm-hmm. I know that's one of the things that, that you have a chance to do a lot right now at Vassar right. and mm-hmm. just in different travels. And I know your choreography has been a huge influence on my life and oh, <laughs> take classes and learn pieces from you um, right. at intensives and at Adeum in mm-hmm. that community. Right. And one of my favorite all-time pieces, and I haven't seen all your works and I would love to, but mm-hmm. <laughs> one of my favorites is Bitter Earth. 
Oh yeah. So beautiful. I could just <laughs> watch you. that on repeat over and over. <laughs> it was, well, I, kudos to a damn and a marvelous dance as they had. It just made the whole process really easy. And you know, Rachel, what's interesting is, is I, I, cause I look at, it works now and and some you really really like and some you know like eh, well you know kind of yeah. missed that one <laughs> um bitter seemed to have worked and but i have to admit it was just that it was that season and the dancers and the music yeah which is just is incredible. An, it's incredible music so i think that convergence just made the whole process a lot easier and i'm i am i have to admit i'm very musical driven in terms of choreography if the music really grabs me i tend to be more even more invested in the in, in the process you know, sure. and, and that that particular piece, you know, was just one I really felt invested in. Definitely. Yeah, it's so beautiful. I'll definitely I'll post a link to it in the, in the show <laughs> oh, notes great. so people can watch. But um, yeah. that's one that I go back to and I show my students and um, oh, wow. love to kind of be inspired by in my mm-hmm. own work. And yeah, so obviously music and that connection with music mm-hmm. in your life comes out through your choreography. Is there anything else that inspires you as a choreographer when you come well, to create a piece? Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I again, I, I have to admit that it a lot of times it's music, you know, and that's not necessarily a great thing. I think sometimes you know you can be kind of uh, so married to the music that you you can kind of limit you know your, the, the other possibilities in creation. But but I think because music is such a, a big part of of my life, it does tend to steer when I create. But a lot of times, what has kind of been my niche is that I'll get asked to do pieces in a really really short amount of time. Mm, yeah, which is a challenge in and of itself. It's a challenge, but but I'm starting. To, it's, you start to develop the skill at it. You know, I mean, it's, again, it's not that the ultimate product is always going to be earth shattering or noteworthy, but just learning that process, trying to go in and assess the situation, or being given a task, and then you know, trying to to make it happen as fast as possible. So, um, it's it's kind of helped me in that process of the skill of trying to to put together things at a, at a good rate. Also coming in situation, really trying to, to have uh, a connection with the dancers as quickly as possible to see what they're able to bring to the table too. Because mm-hmm. I, I also am really Im- impacted by, by dancers and what they bring, you know. So it's, it's a little more collaborative, I think. And as I get older, it becomes even more and more collaborative. Where I'm, right. I, I don't want, you know, I, don't, I can't be the source of all movement anymore, you know. So I really want to be able to see what they bring. And then we can kind of meet at this, this middle place and, and, and hopefully get something that's, that's worthy. Right. That makes sense. About how often are you choreographing new works? It's interesting. I, some years it's like five pieces, you know. Um, yeah. I mean, and sometimes more than that. And then sometimes it's like a, this year, um, like up to this date, I've just, I've done two. Okay. I had uh, a duet that's going to be performed. um, uh, Actually, it's going to be performed in New York this fall at a festival uh, with two two artists going to be performing. And then I did a piece at um, at Vassar, um, a group piece. Those are the two that I've done so far. And I've been asked to do at least one more in the fall, a larger piece. But the interesting thing, the one that I'm going to do this fall, I'm scheduled to do, I have to do it online. So I'm going to have to actually, I'm going to be working with the dancers. They're going to be in another state. And I'm going to be choreographing online for them. So I've never done that before. And I just uh, <laughs> yeah. pray, pray for me, you know. Hopefully. Yes, for sure. <laughs> you know, so that's Sounds exciting and yeah. very daunting at the same yeah, time. Exactly, yeah, exactly, exactly. We'll see what happens. For sure. That's, that's really ex- exciting. And it will be interesting to see how technology shifts the way we do things as well. Yeah, yeah. And it'll stretch me too, which, which I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to. I'm looking yeah, forward to definitely. Challenge. So do you see, I'm sure, working in the Graham company for a decade, mm-hmm. you know, you got to watch Martha Graham, you know, mm-hmm. in her process as well. Do you feel right. like that 
influences how you work? Absolutely. I, there's, there's a couple things. Well, I mean, I may say more than two, but there's definitely some things that I, that I learned. One thing I, I loved about Martha's work, and not everybody has to like, but but it's very specific. Like like even where dancers are placed on stage is specific because it's a theater. I mean, she, the stage was a theater for her, and so I love the fact that when she did a piece, that everything was had a had a, a. It couldn't just be arbitrary. It had to have a relationship, and I love how her mind worked. I remember one time she was working on a section uh, from uh, this piece called Andromache's Lament. And it was a simple section where uh, Andromache uh, had to walk through this chorus of women that were doing these series of backfalls. And, you know, she had choreographed it. And the first version I thought was pretty good, you know, yeah. <laughs> but, it, but it wasn't good for her. It, did, it wasn't subtle. And she was really wrestling with it. And so I remember we were all sitting there and we were watching the process of her. because She had this kind of, you could see that, you know, she was in her like 90s then. She could see that the, there was this image or this, this, this image is going through her mind that she was trying to get to the dancers. Mm, yeah. And so she said, try this, try this. And so she was kind of looking at this video in her mind as she's doing this. And anyway, to make a long story, she kept working and working. And then she got her final product. And then what she got, she ultimately came to just made even more sense. And we were just, I remember looking at, at George White, another dancer. We were just like, oh my gosh. That's that's why she's who she is. Right. It just it just it just you know it, it she she that they're getting in there and working out the details and minutia so because it had to be right. So I, mm-hmm. I just try whenever I have a chance to do I try to try, try to think about that a lot. And then also another real thing that I've, I'm learning still learning even though it's been like decades is um, we were working on um she was working on a piece uh, she wanted to do a piece to this music by John Adams. And um, she'd asked me to, hey, you know, I'd like to see kind of just do some improvising in the studio. Let's see what we can come up with, you know, as a start for this piece. So, you know, me taking this great opportunity, I was thinking, this, I had barrel turns in it and spins and jumps and all this. And I landed at her feet and I thought she was going to really be impressed. Right. <laughs> and then she looked at me and she turned off the music and she said, Steve, you have to learn how to dance in stillness. Ooh. And she just let she just let that statement say like mic drop. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was a mic drop moment, but it was so potent and real. It was that my my thinking was that the amount and the dexterity of the steps makes the piece valid. And she was saying it's just so much more. Sometimes the validity is just in the stillness in the mm. midst of that chaos. And so I really that really has it's never left me. You know, and I have to, I'm, I'm trying to always hold on to that. And I'm not always successful in my pieces, but I try to think about the punctuation marks and the, and the Selah moments. Yeah. You know, so that you're not just constantly just, di- you know, digesting movement. That's super profound. Yeah. I think I've seen that in, you know, when you watch pieces or even as a dancer, you know, you kind of, it almost shows a maturity of, in a dancer when they can just like command the presence and the space with, total stillness you know yeah. um or yeah. taking those dynamic shifts too yeah you yeah know? exactly exactly so it's funny yeah. looking back at old things that i did too and i'm like whoa i'm just constant movement all the time <laughs> yeah know? well but i mean but we and we're also living in a culture where they embrace that too i mean you know, yes. it's, you know it's, it's it's a very act and that's okay that's that's just where we're at in terms of, of style now uh but some of the some of the most powerful moments sometimes are just when there's not anything going on and you're made to kind of have this tension rise and then right. the movement happens. You know, I was just looking a, a couple of days ago, no, a few days ago, I was looking at this piece by Martha Nichols and um, it's, it's How We Left, I think is the name of it. Mm-hmm. And um, the first part of the piece are just standing on stage in this amazing lighting and this powerful music and it's so satisfying. 
I mean, then they move, and the movement is extraordinary. But it's just mm-hmm. there's they, they allow, she allows this this stuff to build up in anticipation, and then the release happens rather than just giving it all all the way to digest right away. Right. For sure. Are you looking to build a new website or improve your current website? I personally use Bluehost Web Hosting for my website, and I have to tell you, I love the user-friendly nature of their site and the seamless integration that they have with WordPress. The launch of the Creative Impact website has been so much smoother because of Bluehost. To learn more about what Bluehost has to offer, you can check out creativeimpactpodcast.com slash Bluehost. You can find additional resources to live creatively and make an impact at creativeimpactpodcast.com slash resources. Now back to my conversation with Steve. How do you feel like the landscape of dance has changed or shifted over these past few decades that you've been, you know, really invested in it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, you know, it's uh, shifting now with COVID-19. Oh, yeah, for uh, sure. (laughs) So so shifted again. But but I think, um, well, obviously, dancers are, are much more capable. And talented now. I mean, that the the talent pool is just thick and and extraordinary. You guys just do so much more than we did, you know, as dancers, which is supposed to happen, right? So over that, time, that, kind of- yeah. And and also, it used to be that you know you would go and sit under a choreographer, mm-hmm. you know, and you work with that choreographer and learn from them, and then you go off and do something, perhaps. Where now is you know, young dancers at a very early part in their career want to choreograph and they have access to a lot more information that we did too because whereas you'd have to go and see a company perform in a theater to get influenced by it now you can just go on youtube and see five companies in five minutes that's so you true know, and see, yeah. and see how they so you're getting all of this this uh you're exposed to all of this um information you know now that you could put equivalent you know pull into your uh, bag of tricks in terms of creating you know uh, creating works so there's that um but also that it's it's a lot harder to dance now than it, I think it was years ago too in the sense that there's more dancers and there's less full-time opportunities you know so uh mm-hmm. there's a, a dancers usually have to have other skills to sustain their dancing uh freelancing is probably more the norm than just joining a company and staying for 10 years <laughs> you know? right and so uh and but again there's there's a lot of great things being birth out of that process though too which i celebrate and now we have this new challenge where there's going to be this transition of things online the, the uh, online part is not going to leave It'll, it it may go to the background a little bit once we're through the, the you know the the, uh, the crisis that we're in right now but it's not going to go away mm-hmm. and that's going to get even further developed so it's gonna be exciting to see what you guys do with that. yeah <laughs> you know? for real yeah i'm curious yeah, to see yeah. how it's gonna play out in the next sure couple of years and then even yeah. into you know the next decade exactly. or so, so exactly yeah yeah so it sounds like something you're super passionate about right now is that mentorship teaching oh, yeah. you know raising up the next generation um so yeah you want to speak a little bit into that and your heart for mentorship yeah, yeah i i um and i don't i'm not trying to sign i don't want to sound melodramatic or you know over dramatic i i it is an honor to teach you know and i'm and i'm i'm awed that god would allow me the to trust me enough to work with young people to to speak and not 
because I know everything or that I've got all this great wisdom, but it's an honor to be able to mentor. I don't know how to express it any better than that. Um, teaching, I think, is a gift. And I've, I, you know, I, I've got blessed with two careers. I had a performing career that I just thoroughly enjoyed and went all over the world, et cetera, et cetera. But then I get this whole new career where I get to, to teach. And it's as satisfying and sometimes even more to be able to just impart and speak. And again, not to try to, to uh, draw this allegiance to me, but just to give young people information that hopefully will help them on their journey and things that I've learned on the way, you know, that mm-hmm. they won't take all of it, but they may take some of it, you know, and, and so it's really important. And I, re- I remember uh, years ago, uh, I, I saw this and I'm going to really paraphrase. So I mean, I get the whole story, right. Uh, Miles Monroe, it was a video I saw and um, in it, he said he had a dream or, or someone was talking and there was this image of uh, this like man of God or elder that was in a mm-hmm. casket lying down and he had a baton in his hand, like a, a racing baton. Yeah. And the essence of it, he said, that's so tragic. He said, because no leader should die without having passed the baton, Ooh, you yeah. know? And I just thought that just makes so much sense. It, it would behoove any of us as elders to, to not, feel the responsibility and urgency of, of imparting and blessing and, and encouraging and mentoring the, the, the people coming behind us. Um, you know, I, I, I want to release. I want to bless. I'm, yeah, go for it. Yeah, yeah. Do better than I did. Yes, yeah, do it. Right. You know? um, and we should be excited about that. So that's really close to my heart because if not, it's not worth doing. You know, right. I, don't, I don't teach because, you know, I, I'm glad I didn't have to teach because, you know, um, I can't dance anymore. Or was it wasn't that I didn't I didn't start teaching because you know I was too old to dance. I I, I got to select and celebrate and enjoy teaching because I wanted to do it. Yeah, that makes know? a lot and of sense. And that's just it's, it's a very healthy place to be at. Speaking of that transition moment, you know, if you think back to the time when you were stepping more into that teaching role, do you have right. any advice for people that are kind of at that crossroad right now in their own lives um, mm. as a performer, and then they're kind of stepping out of that performing role and going more into that teaching mentorship role? Well, I think this is just an idea. I think that a lot of times dancers think that uh, once they stop performing by default, they have to teach. And I I would urge caution with that because Mm -hmm. um, I I don't think teaching really works unless you really want to do it. And you Mm -hmm. feel, you know, uh, because if not, it becomes, you're you're teaching out of frustration, you know, uh, rather than teaching out of passion. Ooh, that's and, good. Uh, yeah. you know, and, and, um, it's, it's just too hard. Teaching is hard. It's really, really hard. It takes a lot out of you, you know, mm-hmm. um, and people don't realize that a lot of times because we're so focused on the performing aspect, but if you're not, if you're not really at a place where you feel passionate about it, I would suggest seeing if there's other things that you might be able to do, support the arts or, or get into something else that's not, not related to dance at all. But if you really want to teach, if that's, if you're making that transitions, you know, uh, See how passionate you are about it. How how invested do you want to be? Because it's going to be hard. It's going to be challenging, you know, and it's going to be different in a lot of ways, but different in a wonderful way. And you want to be able to celebrate that rather than feel like it's an inevitability. Mm, That's beautiful. Yeah, definitely. Being a professor at Vassar College, what is your kind of day-to-day life look like with that? Yeah. Um, well, I, you know, I go in and I have to teach my classes and we're a residential college. So there's a lot of interaction with the students, which I love. Um, I teach some, I, I teach the spectrum of classes too. I teach some absolute beginners. And then I have the dancers who are, who are more seasons, you know, uh, like pre-professional mm-hmm. uh, that are in the company. And so there's this whole, you know, 
this whole, and I love, I love every level. I love, I love working with people, you know, getting people, you know, at the beginning level, just excited about dance and moving. And then at the beginning, they can't even, they can't do first position. By the end of the semester, they're doing that and they're turning and they're moving. And so that's very exciting and satisfying for me. And so I enjoy that engagement a lot. And then um, we have some, it's a non-major program, but the dancers are really bright and talented. And so uh, setting choreography is really exciting. On the, on the season dancers and so mm-hmm. that's that's you know it's 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 very gratifying they got to have a great faculty too so i usually go in in the morning you know um, i teach my classes and then maybe rehearsals in the afternoon i'll do that um sometimes if if we're in a in, in a crunch we might do some additional rehearsals on the weekend and then if we have a series of performances we have you know a, a two fall series performances we have uh, in the winter there's a major gala and then we have a, a modern arts festival and then spring festivals. And then, you know, there's independent projects. So it's like in any dance department, those kind of responsibilities. Yeah, exactly. But, uh, That's yeah, really cool. So with um, teaching and everything, are you pretty much solely focused on gram technique there or do you do multiple things? Well, the, in the cl- all of my, cl- my uh, technique classes are gram based and um, it just, because I want people to get it, to, to have that connection. And we always look at a video of one of Martha's works because I think that's, I have a responsibility to do that. Right. But also, I also teach choreography and I choreograph too. And that's not necessarily gram informed. Right. Know, that's just, uh, you know, and especially choreography. I don't, I don't just rely on gram. I mean, there's a whole lot of, you know, ways that I try to move. Um, but, but my technique classes though are gram based. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that so, that, you know, again, cause I feel like I need to, had that responsibility of, of making that connection there for them. Some some of them never heard of Martha Graham. So right, that's true. Wow, I know it's like as a dancer, most yeah. of us growing up. Yeah, yeah. Especially, I think when you go to through college program, you know, yeah. you hear a lot about the history and everything. Right, right. So it's hard to imagine people not knowing who Martha yeah, Graham is, but, but yeah. it's true. It's true. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And one thing that I've loved taking your classes is seeing and just Graham technique, or probably some of the more formative techniques in right. modern dance is. Right there's sort of a set process, almost like a ballet class, but you have sort yeah. of a set um, progression. And then um, I think one of the things that I run into as a teacher is feeling like I always have to change it up and do something new and, you know, try all these new things. But it's kind of refreshing to see, you know, you could do the same exercises over and over again, and it's still you're learning more depth right, and right. knowledge exactly. of it. So Exactly. You know, it's, it's interesting. There's a lot of pressure on modern and contemporary choreographers to always have something fresh. Whereas mm-hmm. like, if you go to ballet class, you know, there's certain be- exercises you repeat all the time. The tendus, the fondues, you know, the, the, you know, the frappes and the, the rond de jambes en l'air and all of that. Those are certain staples at the bar and nobody's offended if you have to do it right. the same way everywhere. It's just like, it's this kind of expectation. But for modern, you know, and contemporary, there's always this idea, let's do something new or when are we going to dance? You know, this is kind of like, expectation of freedom so you have to fight that sometime and one of the things that i think is great about codified techniques like horton and graham and lamone you know dunham is that you do you know you get an opportunity to explore movement but you're also really working on on the instrument the technique and that's that's and i know that for me again this isn't for every dance but for me it was really important to be connected with a form of the art that made you train your body Mm, Again, because yeah. also I was also the place too, because I also was a late bloomer, the training part had to be in, in place. It couldn't be just feeling the moment I'd had, mm-hmm. or, or, or warring up to dance. It had to be training. So um, I kind of, that's kind of informed what I do right now too. I really think that training is important 
you know, and, and having a codified technique, I think works really well. Yes. Yes. I can feel that. And, um, so yeah, thank you for that. It's been really mm-hmm. helpful for me to, to see that and the, the benefit and the value that it gives to students as well yeah. as a teacher. So, um, yeah, totally kind of somewhat shifting gears here. I would be curious just to hear, you know, your heart, your thoughts on kind of our current events right now, you know, talked somewhat about COVID-19 and how that's been affecting us. And then also there's been a lot going on with, you know, racial tensions coming to the forefront and um, injustices that have been happening and just would love to hear your heart and how you've been processing with all that. It's interesting, Rachel, because there's so many layers to it. And um, I think that for all of us, it's not a standard response. Like, you know, um, I've been through this, therefore I'm responding like this. I mean, there's there's a couple, this is just speaking personally. Mm -hmm. Um, I've had to just navigate through a lot of emotions. I mean, I think first, you know, going, coming into the the coronavirus and just seeing this kind of flat line of the world, you know, where everything, everything stopped, the economy stopped, people stopped. You know, there was, it's serious. Yeah, like Broadway and, was shut down. Yeah, like, everything has just ever happened. You know, <laughs> you know mo- all of the monetary systems, are just everything getting flatlined. And so that, that, I knew that we were in the beginning of a kind of a great reset. And something that was really on my heart then and still is now is that coming out of this reset, it can't be a blip on the radar like 9-11 was, you know, where it just happens and you go back to normal. I think that coming out of this, we really have to think about how God wants us transformed. And so mm. there's that notion that I don't want to come out of this just kind of like, Ooh, glad that's over with. Let's go back to normal. But just there's, there's, there's a lot that I think the Lord is trying to say right now. So there's that part of it. And then right in the midst of this, of course, then the revelation of just the, the, the deep seated problems coming to the forefront of just systemic racism and injustice and all like that. And we're, we're dealing with a culture now, uh, that especially young people, this is kudos to generations, but is they're, they're really passionate about justice. It's not, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, that's, that's, that's the core. And we can't dismiss that. I think that's really significant. And so I've been trying to pay attention to that a lot is that, you know, it's not like, well, this is just status quo. We'll get over it or just forgive. You know, I mean, they say, no, we need to, we need to deal with this. We need to have conversations. There needs to be a working. There needs to be things put in motion that, that address things that are systemic. But having said that, because it's systemic, it's going to take time. Mm-hmm. And I know there's a, a lot of, you know, people who want to, to come forward with statements and, and which, which are wonderful as, as starters, like, you know, we'll, they'll make a statement against racism or policy changes. And those things need to happen. But what I'm really hoping is that they're the one-on-one, pers- you know, purposeful conversations that are going to be messy and awkward. Right. You know, but if you can, if you can get through the mess and the awkwardness and be willing to have grace on both ends of it, mm-hmm. I think we can come out of it healed. And I know ultimately the healing comes with, with and when it's God directed, you know, the mm-hmm. Lord directed. But in the meantime, just, just having honest conversation. And, and again, the other person may just not, you know, not understand, but just be willing to say, okay, yeah, let's try to talk so that we can understand, you know, but I think just unadulterated rage and anger uh, and frustration, if we allow that to take over, then we'll miss the opportunity, you know? Mm. And a lot of people are really angry and, and are full of rage, and they've, and they've, they've lived with injustice so long, so I'm not discrediting that. Right. But my heart's, my heart's passion is that uh, we can put the political rhetoric aside, which is kind of just overwhelming, right. and just realize that, you know, we have to kind of be our own CEOs and make decisions that honor people and honor, well, honor God and honor people. You know? mm, so that's that. kind of yeah. So that's that's kind of where I'm at right now. I, I really want to um, 
to be at that place. You know, uh, my my relationships with people, you know, I have a lot of really close friends, you know, that aren't of my race, you know, but but my relationship with them is a priority. So I want to make sure mm-hmm. that that even if I there are certain passions that I have or beliefs that I have that that I also understand that I'm not willing to compromise our friendship. We, we're going to get to this together. You know, we're going right. to we'll work it out. But I value you so much. We're not going to lose that in the process by God's grace, you know. And so. Uh, that's a so beautiful kind of, heart behind yeah, it, yes. you know. So and, that's kind of where I'm at right now, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the relationships are so key, you know, and just building the relationships and continuing to have conversations, even like you said, yeah. if it's messy or awkward mm-hmm. or um, that kind of thing. But to know that we're there, we're we're for each other, you know, mm-hmm. and, uh, and I think also it's understanding too, that it's also God's heart. You know, I think that the Lord is allowing us to come forward because it needs to be dealt with. It's not something let's just get away so we can go back to the kingdom. No, this is part of what God does in his kingdom mm, work. Yes, yes. And, and he's passionate about that. This is important to him. And so I think we have to keep that perspective as well. For sure. And, um, specifically for artists, because most, most of our listeners are probably artists as well, whether dancers or musicians, right. Right. Um, visual artists, that kind of thing. Right. Um, do you have any specific word for the artists right now in this season? You know, um, <laughs> art has such healing possibilities, Rachel. And it's the one thing that's always consistent. And when you've gone through plagues and wars and all of that, the art still thrive, you know, just as an entity mm-hmm. and people still yearn for it. People were going to movies during the world wars, you know, and stuff like because they're, they're looking for something beautiful, you know, and I find myself sometimes looking at uh, some, some dancers on, on, on Instagram and they're just expressing this, you know, and it's, it's kind of refreshing to kind of look at something that's not connected with an, with a political ideology. All those dance can do that. It can be but right. just seeing just what, it kind of recharge and touch the things that initially got us involved with it anyway. And people I think are, you know, coming out of all of this in some way, they're going to be yearning for something beautiful in transient, you know, yes, there's going to be, you, I guarantee there's going to be millions of COVID-19 ballets and, and social justice <laughs> pieces that have come out. So there's going to be that too. There's going to be a lot of those, but there's going to be sometimes people are just going to want to see two artists just, just expressing the beauty of, of this art form. So I think artists should be prepared for that, you know, uh, and, and understand too that as we're communicating now, this, this uh, social media is going to be a part of that as well, mm-hmm. you know, uh, but it can, be, it can be an extension, not a, a detriment to what we really want to say. Yeah, for sure. I really appreciate that. Um, I know it's going to definitely speak to the hearts of artists right now and you know how we can be intentional about going into this yeah. this new season and going right. into like you said not just to get back to our old right. what it was at some right, point exactly. but moving forward yeah. and yeah, um, yeah, finding yeah. new healing and new depth exactly. of understanding and everything absolutely absolutely rachel for yeah. sure yeah well i super appreciate it this uh last question is more just mm-hmm. for fun um sure. one that i like to ask all of our guests is what is one of your favorite things right now Oh, gosh, I would say sitting outside. And I know that's so, but just being in fresh air, yes. I think especially, um, you know, after being kind of cooped in and quarantined for so long, I, I like I, I'm out here on the deck and it's, it's, it's very therapeutic for me. And you know, I don't have to mask up. I don't put on gloves. I just sit out here and, and enjoy. So I've really enjoyed that, that kind of reconnection with just being outdoors. That sounds so trite. 
I guess, probably in terms of not being a big deal. But I no, really, that's I really a great, yeah. a great choice for sure. I think that's I've been loving that too. Getting outside, yeah. just it really is like a recharge, a refresh. Exactly, exactly. Connecting you know. in with nature, and yeah, I think yeah. connecting with the beauty of God's creation. Yeah, and 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 in the byproduct. One other final thing, just as a byproduct of all of this being cooked, is I really growing in my affections and appreciation for relationships. You know, my yes. family and whatnot and, and, and really not taking things for granted as I had in the past, taking for granted, just being able to touch someone, or hug, you know, things that we just took for granted or, or being able to sit in a movie theater with other people. You know, I mean, just those, so I, mean, I look, I look at, I look at like uh, things on television and you, you can tell all of them were filmed before the pandemic began because all of these people are close together. They're sitting in audiences and laughing and whatnot. And I just think, oh my gosh, we took that for granted. You know, just being able to sit and laugh in an audience together yeah. with someone next to somebody you don't know, mm-hmm. you know, and now there's this whole another dynamic. So just appreciating that or, or knowing how much I'm going to appreciate that once we get to say, oh, my gosh, we get to sit together and yell without a mask on. You know? <laughs> so, you know, love that so much. Yeah, I think that's it's a good reminder. And sometimes it is that you know, taking it away and yeah. not having that, you know, really brings to light the beauty and the value in it. Um, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Well, yeah. speaking of, I really appreciate getting to sit down with you and take some time to chat even over, over Zoom. So thank <laughs> you for spending this hour with me. Rachel, it was a pleasure. Listen, I just, God bless you big time. And, uh, you know, again, it was an honor. We'll, we'll see all the things that'll, that'll happen as we come out of this too. For sure. So, Steve, is there anywhere that people can find you or get um, connected with you? Oh, oh sure. Um, anyone who wants to shoot me a message on Facebook, I'm at Steve, Steve Rooks on Facebook. And then Instagram, I'm Markel, M-A-R-K-E-L-L dot Rooks, you know, on, on Instagram. And, uh, you know, give me a message, you know, keep me posted on things. I'd love to keep in contact. Awesome. Thank you. Steve's story. I'm so grateful he took the time to join me for that conversation, and I hope it encourages you today. You can find links from the show in the full show notes on our website, creativeimpactpodcast.com. Are you enjoying the podcast? Do you want to partner with us to help it grow? You can become a monthly supporter by joining our Patreon community. As a supporter of the podcast, you get access to extra content that is only available for patrons. You can learn more at creativeimpactpodcast.com slash P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Another simple way to support the show is to leave a rating or review on iTunes. Next week, my guest for the podcast is Caitlin Harbaugh. Caitlin is a stay-at-home mom to Sadie, Ava, and Thomas, a wife to David, and a visual artist. I loved getting to chat with Caitlin about her current artistic projects and finding the spaces to create in the middle of her season as a mom to three little ones. Thank you for listening to the Creative Impact Podcast. Connecting with you is one of my favorite things. Don't forget to subscribe and connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. The music for the show was produced by Michael Cash. I'll see you next week for my conversation with Caitlin Harbaugh.